All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, my name is Brian Fredrickson. I've lived in uh, Beijing for five years, been attending this church for that time. Um, I'm here with my family. My wife, Melissa, and my kids are here. Um, Darby's back visiting during her semester break, so it's nice to have the whole family here. God brought us, our family, to uh, Beijing five years ago using Procter & Gamble as what I do. I work uh, research and development at P&G, but also um, you know, speaking a few times a year to you is, uh, I guess that's also part of the reason why God brought us to God brought us to China. So five years ago, maybe God knew that on January 13th, we'd be starting a Colossians series, and there needed to be some, someone to do the Colossians 1, and here I am. Um, I'm excited to bring this, this message um, to start this series uh, for Colossians. Um, first of all, because it's the Word of God. So we get to experience this and understand more of who God is and what he's saying to us through Paul, who wrote the book. And when he wrote it to the Colossians, he had a purpose, and that purpose is also applicable to us today. And so that's part of what we get to experience as we get into this, as we get into this book. So we can understand more about God. We can understand how to apply this in our lives today, and that's, uh, that's something to be excited about. And so we'll do that going through the whole book. So that's something that we can also do because when we take the time to go through a book from start to finish, we get to see it in its entirety, see the whole message that Paul was wanting to communicate to the Colossians, and through that whole book, we can understand how all parts of it tie together into the big picture of what God wants us to hear. So before I get started, uh, let's pray. God, you are the creator of the whole world. We've, we sang that in the songs today. And we give this time to you today. I pray that you use me today to bring your word, to bring this letter that Paul had written to the Colossians to CCC today. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be present, you open our hearts and minds to learn new things, and that your truth will be spoken through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'll first start, since I'm starting this series, I'll start with the basics of who were the Colossians. So you go to the next slide. Colossae was a city located, you could see it indicated uh, by the star, um, in what is now Turkey. And you could see through this map that where Jesus died on the cross, where he had his ministry primarily focused near Jerusalem, if you can imagine the people would have spread this news through roads that would follow up to Antioch across Colossae, Ephesus, and there were boats that also connected this region, um, but also trails, and these cities along the way would hear the good news. And Colossae was one of these cities 
who heard the good news. And you could see, you could imagine on Paul's um, missionary journeys, he was made his way through this region up to Rome. He was in prison in Rome. And that's where he wrote this letter was while he was in prison in Rome. But the good news of the gospel that the apostles shared was shared throughout this, was shared throughout this region. And you can imagine it um, as I do connected. So it was written in about the year 60 AD. So 60 years after uh, Jesus died on the cross. That's when this was written. And it was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And he wrote it to be taken to the, to the people of Colossae. They had already heard of Jesus. Many of them were believers. We can see that in the letter. So these were people that I would offer as we get into this book. They're people like me and you. They've heard the good news of Jesus, and many of them were believers. Not everybody. Not everybody in this not everybody in the service today is a believer. They will become a believer. They're invited to become a believer. You are invited to become a believer. Um, through, this, through this message, we'll share more about what God has to say to us and the truth of who God is and why he wants a relationship with each one of us, including you. Um, but it's a mix. The... the, the the church in Colossae was a mix, but the most important part that I want to leave you with and have you remember as we start this is these were people who heard the good news, they believed the good news, and so they are Christians, like many of us. Yet there was still a reason why Paul had a great passion to write this letter to them. So why would Paul be writing a letter to believers? That's the, that's the important part that I want you to keep in mind today and throughout this series, because there is a very important reason, and it's a reason that could be important for us this, this upcoming uh, month, this upcoming four weeks as we, as we hear this. So, it's a relatively short letter. It's got four chapters, and we'll be spending four weeks, we'll be spending four weeks on it. Roughly, chapter one, two, three, and four will be the four weeks. The first part of the letter, chapters 1 and 2, is about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Chapters 3 and 4 are applications of that, of that supremacy. Once you know that as a Christian, it's applications to the Christian life. That's how it's, that's how it's broken out. So the first part is very theological. Chapters 3 and 4 are more practical, everyday living, ethics type of things that you would, that you would hear and apply to your lives. That's, that's the point of how Paul puts, puts this all together. Based on the content of the letter, we can get an insight on why Paul was so passionate to write it. He was writing it to remind the Christians in Colossae, to remind the Colossians of who Christ is and then how they should be responding to that, how they should be living. There were problems that Paul was trying to overcome. Heresy. A heresy is my summary of what a heresy is. 
It's parts of it sound okay. Like you could just read, you could, somebody could be telling you something or you could read something and parts of it sound okay. But if you get to the, the root, it's fundamentally flawed, which makes the entire, everything within that heresy also flawed because in its root is not true. And it, in this case, what the heresy, the, the heresy that Paul was trying to defeat was that Christ's true deity, being one with the Father, was being questioned. And the other part of the heresy was that Christ alone was not sufficient, that there were other things, it was Christ plus other things, other ritualistic things that would be needed to have the perfect holy relationship with God. And those two things is what Paul was addressing in this letter. So if you go to the next slide. So that was an overview of the whole letter. Today what I'll be talking about is chapter 1. This is my part of the series. And in chapter 1, I believe we can learn two things, two primary things that Paul was teaching. Prayer and the supremacy of Christ. Those are the two parts. So I'll start, I'll, I'll read, so you can read along with me, and we'll start in uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. And I'll read 5 through, I'll read 5 through um, 6. And this is Paul writing to the Colossians, and says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father, our Lord, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love for you and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. <clears throat> You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ in our behalf, who told you of us, your, of your love in the Spirit. So when he prays, he's thanking God for the hope that they've heard, the hope that springs up from this truth of the gospel. That life-giving hope is the, that is the good news. And you can hear what happens from that. From that hope, it bears fruit. This is what God has intended. This is the good news that God has intended for all of us. And you can see that hope is everything. That hope is what that hope is the main thing that Paul is thankful for, and that's why he opens the letter with this. That's why he opens the letter with this message. This message of hope. What else can we learn about prayer through this through this letter as Paul opens? Go to the next slide. So now I'll continue, verses nine and ten. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. So with those verses, 9 and 10, and I read through, I read through 11, but the themes that Paul said a few times was the knowledge and understanding. And so you can see that that's his priority. That's what he's praying for. He's praying that the people realize that God is everything. He's the creator of all things. And that understanding that, having that knowledge and that understanding is what leads to that hope that the people have. So what is Paul not praying for? I think that's an that's an interesting question. He's not praying for their circumstances. He's not praying for specific things in the, the details of their lives at this point. He's starting really big. He's starting that they would have the knowledge and understanding of who God is, and that from that knowledge and understanding, they will bear the fruit that God has intended through, their, through all of their good works and knowledge. So, what's not praying for the circumstances, I think, that's, I think that's an interesting thing to think about. Because when you first start with the knowledge and the understanding, that puts your mindset in the, the mindset in the intended place that God has for us. If you start with that mindset of the knowledge and understanding, then all of the good works, or all of the, the, the fruit that comes from that, and everything that we do, will come from that faith and knowledge of understanding, and then the goodness comes from that, and then the peace, hope, and love comes from that understanding. So that's the, that's the, that's the piece that I think is most important in this part, is peace starting from that knowledge and understanding. And then that, that is what leads to the life, as he says, the, a life worthy and pleasing to Christ, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the bearing fruit and increasing knowledge of God are right there together in that verse. So it's you understand more, you have a mindset of who God is, you bear good fruit, and then you increase in the knowledge of God. And then I think the cycle goes over again. The more you understand who God is, the more good fruit you bear, then you understand more, and then repeat. And to the fullness of God, we will never achieve that, but that, that cycle, it's, a, it's, it's strange. It's a, it was a word that was in the, in the song that we sung, and I think we're going to have the opportunity to hear that song every week during this Colossians series. There's a verse there that says, how strange it is that all is mine. And 
I find it strange also. Like this, this, we take the supreme God and what he wants from us is to understand who he is. From that understanding, from faith in that understanding, we do good works, through living by faith, produce fruit, increase in the understanding, and that is Christ through us, and that's, that's all. That's, that's the ultimate, that's, that's everything in heaven. Everything that's been created in heaven is ours through this inheritance, through following, through believing in the, the gift that God gave us. We believe in that, and we have this access to the holy and supreme God. So as we get a bigger grasp of who God is, then we're able to understand and appreciate that more. And that's Paul's prayer. If you go to the next slide. I had a, in this study, that, that concept that I was trying to explain, and hopefully I did a fairly good job to explain it to you, but it's really difficult for me to, it was really difficult for me to grasp. Like, how do you grasp something that's bigger than that? And then every time I would ask myself, well, how big is it? Bigger than that, bigger than that. And so I was trying to think of some examples of what this was, but rather than share examples, um, I, I think this was, um, I felt that this was, um, was more relevant to share with you. This is a Hebrew word that's written in English letters. I didn't use the Hebrew characters. Um, I think it's pronounced tefillah. So I don't know if, as far as you know, that's how it's pronounced, unless any of you speak Hebrew. But I, with the uh, patterns, and I've uh, used a little bit of uh, uh, translate, translate apps, and I think it's pronounced tefillah. And it's a Hebrew word for prayer. And what it translates to it in English is closer to self-evaluate, ponder, self-evaluate of what you would do to self-evaluate. How are you doing? So if you pray tefillah, you're self-evaluating yourself and your mindset, attitudes, and behaviors to that of a holy God. And I could understand that because if you read some of the Psalms and some of the prayers of the, the patriarchs, uh, the, the Jewish patriarchs would pray and they would examine themselves and praise a holy God, glorifying a holy God, and then comparing themselves to that, it's the, what they're not doing in accordance to what a holy God would want, and they're not appreciating the holy God and giving him all the praise and the glory. So there's a self-evaluate part in there that is not what I'm used to in the English word to pray, which is more to pray, it's to ask or to beg. Like, oh, I pray, I pray that you would uh, see it my way, or I pray that this would happen or that would happen, which is another way to communicate with God. It's not wrong. It's not, it's not that God doesn't listen to prayers when we ask, but I think it's incomplete. It's not the fullness of what God has for us. So, of course, God will listen to our prayers. Of course, he, will, he wants to hear what's on our heart. 
all of the joys, all of the struggles, asking things in Jesus' name, of course. Of course it's there. That's what God wants. But it's more than that. It's not just that. It's more than that. God wants us to understand fully who he is, and from that understanding of who God is and how big God is and how much God loves us, then from that understanding we pray and we talk to God, we ask for how big that, we ask for that understanding, and then we apply that in our lives. And of course we ask God for, we share God our joys, we ask God to help us, to give us knowledge in certain circumstances. But it starts with that knowledge of God, which I think we learned from Colossians, because that's the first prayer that Paul prays to the Colossians. Thanks, thanks them that they've heard the good news and praise for their increased knowledge and understanding. So that's the... So that's the prayer. That's, I, that's what I think we learn from prayer. And I think it is important because in our own lives, um, and I've done this as well, we pray to God and we wonder what we should do on a decision. Should we do A or should we do B? And we will pray to God. God, help me understand your will. What is your will? That we do A or that we, that we do B? Like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's, there is a place for that. But God's will, according to Paul, God's will is that we pray to understand who he is. The bigger the understanding, the greater our understanding of how big God is, the more we can understand what his will is in our life. And I think in an example like this, whether we pray to God, should, we do, should I do A or should I do B, the more I understand how big God is, the more I realize that God will be present with me in A and B, and probably C and D and E and F, and things that are in the future that I have no idea of, but God does. So for me to pray, a or B and keep it limited to that is really not acknowledging the fullness of God because I believe God will help me decide A or B. God will be present as long as my heart is in the right place, seeking to understand the fullness of God and letting Him be in control of my life, letting Him live through me. God will be present with me in A and B. And like I said, C, D, E, F, G, whatever the other things that are in my future and, what, is, and what, what I have, what's in the future for me, God present in my life, me surrendering to God and letting him live, letting Christ live through me and acknowledging his fullness, God will be present with me. So now I'll go on to... Supremacy. So that's the prayer part of this first chapter, what we can learn. And now I'll go on to the supremacy and read from verse 15. Verse 15 through 20. I'll read. Verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible, in the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn amongst the dead, so that everything in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul, in this, what he is telling the Colossians is that Christ has the supremacy. Christ is in the position of authority. The words that Christ used, the words that Paul used to describe Christ were very meaningful to the people of the time. The context that he used is the firstborn. And everybody in the, con everybody in the culture at that time would knows that the firstborn is a position. It's unchangeable. You can't change it. The firstborn was a position of authority in many things. And Paul used that to describe Christ two times. One, he was the firstborn over all creation. So before the earth was even here, when it was God, and in God's mind and in God's words, he spoke the creation of the earth, Christ was there. That's one place he mentioned firstborn. The other place he mentions firstborn was firstborn amongst the dead. So firstborn of those on earth, so acknowledging that Christ was a man on earth, was the firstborn amongst all of those from the dead, the first amongst those who are together reconciled to God. So with that emphasis, Christ is supreme. In, as Paul wrote this, I think that to the Colossians, they would hear this, and if there, if there were any questions about the deity of Christ, when he says firstborn two times in this, in this passage, I think he's saying, like, he's firstborn. Enough said. Like, period. Basta. Like, this is, this is it. He's, and that's the way we should take it. And so that's the, that's the piece of this that, that Paul established, is like he has the ultimate supremacy. As we go on in this verse, as we go on, carrying on then in verses 21 and 22, we could read that this supremacy of Christ is there, but it starts with a contrast. In verse 21 it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, present to you, holy, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So, we've been reconciled. God chose to do this. It wasn't our choice to be reconciled. It was nothing that we did, but this is part of God's plan. So, part one, or first part of this passage, Christ is supreme. The Almighty God, creator of all, chose 
to have Christ be present on earth as a man to reconcile all of us to the holy God. That's the part, that, that's what Paul's establishing. This is it. But then it goes on in verse 23, part of the same sentence as verse 22. So I'll start reading in verse 22 again. But now he's reconciled to you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If. That's a big word. That means if this, then that. So all of that supremacy, God's the creator of all, has created the whole world, has reconciled us to him through Christ. And it can be ours. If. If what? If we do something, if we check the boxes, if we follow certain laws, that's what the Old Testament was. But this message that Paul's bringing is to refute that. It's to remind the believers that no, that's not the if. That's not what you have to do. It's if, what? If you continue in faith. That's it. That's how the whole, that's the whole story. So in this part of Colossians, it's really, from these verses, it's the whole story of the universe. It's God's heart. God, the creator of all, has created everything for his enjoyment because he wanted to do it. He sent Christ to die on the cross for us so we're reconciled because he wanted to do that. It's all God. This is not anything about us. This is the part about us. If we continue in faith, that's it. That's Paul's point. So continuing in faith is all we have to do to receive the reconciliation, to receive the gift that God gave us, to be part and to be one with the Holy God, Almighty, the creator of everything. But we know it's not that simple to have the peace and the hope and the love and all of the good fruit by just reading that, acknowledging it, and saying, I got it. It's not, we have a sinful nature, we're still of the flesh. So, the letter of Colossians is not finished at verse 23. It'll go on to describe those things that get in the way. So continuing in the faith and bearing all the good fruits and having the hope of the gospel and the peace that flows from that, Paul establishes that that could occur when you acknowledge that Christ has the supremacy and you recognize that Christ and Christ alone has reconciled us to the holy God. And that's it. That's 
That's what continuing the faith is. And then, when that happens, then we bear the fruit and we get the hope of the gospel and the peace that comes from that. And so bearing fruit, if you remember in the early part, this was mentioned two times. In verse 6, it talked about bearing fruit. I read through that. And also in verse 10, where it says, Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's the result of having this faith. And so bearing fruit should remind you of something. I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. What does bearing fruit remind you of? This is also, um, we've also been hearing about this, and it's also very much been part of abiding in Christ, which we have, which we have heard also. But bearing fruit, it reminds of the vine and the branches. Go to the next slide. So when I hear bearing fruit, this is, this is the image that comes to mind. The verse is, it's in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is staying in the faith. So the image that I have of that if statement, if you continue in the faith, it's stay connected to the vine. Don't let something distract you and think that you're a branch on the vine and you're going to separate yourself from the vine and go get the ability to bear that fruit from something else. It just, it won't happen. That's what living in faith means stay where God puts you. Once you hear the good news, once you understand how big God is, once you understand that Christ and Christ alone is sufficient to meet all of your needs, you stay connected to the vine. You don't have to work and earn it. You don't have to do things to connect yourself to the vine. It says, it just, it starts, I am the vine. You are the branches. Vine, branch, it's connected. Do that. Let me, let Christ work through us. And then we will bear the fruit. The fruit won't come if you're not connected to the vine. You can't try to make good fruit, no matter how hard you try. We've heard... We've heard that a few times. Um, and I remember Ian um, spoke to us a few months ago, and he used that. You can't try to produce good fruit. Work really hard to produce good fruit. You don't do it. Last week, Rick mentioned the... Remember? This is, you're just letting Christ work through you. You do this, and you'll bear the fruit. So it's... Uh, it's in the mindset. It's a mindset that you would have to have. And this is the Christian mindset that sets us up for the applications that we'll have later in this series. Without this mindset, the applications don't make sense. And that's an important part. That's an important part to remember. So remember that the letter of Colossians was written to people who were already believers. What Paul is reminding them of the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is sufficient, and through Christ, they receive that. They understand how big God is. Through Christ, they can bear the fruit. That's what he's, that's what he's telling them. 
So from that starting point, all of the application pieces come, at, come from that. I'm not going to go into the application pieces because those are the, those are the parts that you'll hear in chapters 3 and 4. But remember that if you don't have the mindset of the supremacy of Christ, the application pieces are from the supremacy of Christ is how Paul wants the Colossians and wants us to hear the application. The application pieces on their own are not bad ideas. They're, they're good, but they won't make sense to people of the world, and they won't make sense to us in all times, and they get really hard to deal with if you're not remembering they're connected to this bigger concept of the supremacy of Christ. So I've got another example that I hope you can remember about this making sense and not making sense. This is a light, and this is a power strip. What should happen when I plug this in is the light goes on. So this would be like, this could be a branch, and the light could be the fruit, and this is the source. You plug the branch, the light, into where it's meant to be plugged in, something that has the source, and it goes on. So this could be like vine, branch, bearing good fruit, power cord with electricity, Light source, light bulb, bearing light. This is how it's meant to work. If you try to plug this in to the wrong power source, it's not going to work. Even though this could be, this, this by the work of whoever created this light bulb, could try to make this light bulb better, could try to go on and design a very good light bulb. But if it's not plugged into the right source, it's not going to work. If I try to plug it into something that's not the right power source, obviously it's not going to work. If I plug it into something that looks like a power source, this could look exactly the same, but if it's not connected to the true power, it's not going to light up. It's not, and I, I think that's my, that's my, metaphor for what a heresy would be. It looks like it. It looks really good. But if it's not connected to the source of the power, it's not going to work. So I'll leave that there for now. And so remember that the mindset is the important thing to remember. You need to keep your mindset focused on the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is sufficient. That's what we're called to as believers. So when Christ is sufficient, all the other things don't matter. They're not good or bad in and of themselves, but they matter less compared to 
but they do matter if they replace Christ as the, as the source, as the sufficiency. And the central part of worship is acknowledging the supremacy of God and that Christ is sufficient. And so the sufficiency of Christ will come next week when Craig brings us the message in the chapter 2 on how, how do we keep, how do we acknowledge, and what, what should we have in mind when we consider Christ's sufficiency? Because the answer to that question is huge. That's the, if we believe that Christ is supreme, and we could do that, but yet we act in a way that doesn't make him sufficient, that's alienating ourselves from God. That goes back to the verse where it said, once we were alienated because of our mindset. We, remember it said, because the, the evil in our minds. It wasn't our evil behaviors. It was our minds. And so that sufficiency is very important because it's essential to understand who God is and what he's created us to do. So that you will have to wait till next week where Craig will pick up on this answering the question, is Christ sufficient? And why is Christ sufficient? For now, I'll close in prayer. Father God, I pray for our knowledge and understanding of your holiness. I pray that it increases every day. You are the mighty God, creator of and ruler of all. There's nothing we can do without you. May we realize this more each day this week. Thank you for the gift of grace you've given us, and thank you for reconciling us through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And thank you for the everlasting life we have in Christ. Amen.